So at the very end of Sefer Shemot has this story of the Mishkan being completed, Moshe setting up for the first time. By the way, one of my, uh, one of my colleagues raised a question this past week on Facebook in a conservative rabbi's group. Anybody ever notice that it's Moshe who does all the setup the first time? That's a lot for him to do, carrying all those beams and... I think maybe he's more the contractor than the uh, who's a foreman telling everyone what to do. But the way it's, it's written, it looks like Moshe himself actually does it all. But after Moshe finishes all the work, it says that the cloud descends on the Mishkan, and the glory of God fills the Mishkan, and Moshe can't even enter into the Mishkan. That's the glory of God fills the entire Mishkan. It's an interesting verse. And it raises the question, like, why can't Moshe go into the Mishkan? Because we have texts elsewhere where we see the cloud covering the top of Mount Sinai at the end of Mishpatim, Parshat Mishpatim, and yet Moshe is able to enter into the cloud there. Why is it here that he can't and there he can? And one of the answers that the rabbis offer is, it says, well, there God calls Moshe. And God calls Moshe into the, into the cloud so it's okay. Moshe has permission to enter that point. But God never calls Moshe here, specifically in this instance, so it makes sense why Moshe can't enter. You have to wait for, you know, for someone to say, please, enter. That's one idea. But Kliakar, who I talk about a fair amount here, you know, is one of my favorite commentators, offers a really interesting explanation. He begins his commentary by saying that Kavod Adonai, the glory of God, when it says, Kavod Mishkan, that the glory of God fills the Mishkan, says the glory of God, is not the cloud. What? It says, the cloud descends and the glory of God fills the Mishkan. We think they're one the same. He says, no, they're not the same. The cloud is covering the Mishkan, but the glory of God is filling the Mishkan. They're two separate things. One is a cloud and one is kavod Adonai, glory of God. So what is the glory of God? Now, if we were trying to guess what would be in the center around a whole bunch of cloud or smoke, what would that be? It would be fire. So it says that the kavod Adonai, the glory of God, is actually an ish. It's ish kodesh. It is a holy fire. It says it's, the way that we can understand this is we look at the end of Parshat Mishpatim, you don't have to turn there in your books. I'm just going to read it for you. But the end of Parsha Mishpatim, it says, if you, if you want to follow along, it's on page 479, but we're in chapter 24, verse 15. It says, when Moses had ascended the mountain, the cloud covered the mountain. The presence, that, and Kavod Adonai, and Kavod Adonai dwelled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud hid it for six days. What did the cloud cover? Did the cloud cover... Kavod Adonai, or did the cloud cover the mountain? Normally we read it as the cloud covered the mountain, but here he's saying the cloud covered Kavod Adonai. On the seventh day, he, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Now, the, now Kavod Adonai appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Moses went inside the cloud and ascended the mountain, and Moses remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So here the idea of kavod Adonai is this esh ochelet, this consuming fire, right? But in that case, Moses is able to come up through the cloud to get close to the fire. 
Now, does he actually get to the fire? We don't know, because we can't see. All we can see is this cloud that is covering the top of the mountain, and we know that Moses went into that. And here we know that there's a cloud covering the Mishkan, and there's something inside that is preventing Moses from being able to enter. Now, what's remarkable about this, besides the fact that it's really fascinating to distinguish between Kavod Adonai being this fire and this Anan, this cloud that kind of was covering over, which is interesting enough of itself, but what's fascinating to me is if Kavod Adonai is an Esh Ochelet, if the glory of God is a consuming fire, and he just set up the Mishkan for the very first time, and everything is in its proper place, and here we have this consuming fire in the Mishkan, you would think that somebody would say, Stop! You're going to burn the whole Mishkan down. We just spent all this time building it and setting it up, and you're going to destroy it. But nobody freaks out, because when the cloud disappears and you're able to enter, you see, everything is exactly the same as it was. So it's this consuming fire that doesn't consume. Which makes us think about what? This neh, bo'er, the burning bush. Right? In both cases, you have this object which is engulfed in flames and Moses is told he has to stop in front of it, remove his shoes because it's holy ground, right? and he has to pause. But that's where he is able to commune with God. I'm trying to rack my brain. So what is the difference? One is a snag. And one is this building. And so how could it be that a fire can not consume these, just these two things? I thought maybe it's because the sne- maybe they can't contract, contract tuma. They can't take on impurity. Because the snake, a bush, a bush can't contract impurity. But these tools of the Mishkan are the work of human hands. They can clearly contract impurity. Which is why everybody has to be purified before they can enter into the Mishkan. Now maybe that's why Moshe couldn't enter in, because they hadn't done the full anointing of everybody quite yet, right? Of everybody. But I don't think that's really the case, because there are multiple times where we can't enter. So I thought, okay, maybe it's not about Tuman Torah, purity and impurity. Maybe it's something else. And then it occurred to me that it's about an ot, a sign. The burning bush is a sign. It's a sign that's small and easily overlooked. And as our Midrash teaches, it was there since the creation of the world. And thousands, if not millions of people throughout time passed by that bush and never stopped to notice it. But Moshe saw this miracle and was drawn to it. And through that began his relationship with God. And began the holy work of leading the Israelites and trying to spread God's message of liberation and justice. A snare that little bush is, was easily overlooked by many, many people. But to have this Mishkan in the middle of a camp of a couple million people, 600,000 adult men right, of, of army age, so plus their wives, children, whatever, so a couple million people, to have this Mishkan in the middle with this huge cloud of smoke over it and they know that there's some sort of fire inside and yet that fire is not consuming everything within that is a miracle for everybody to be able to see. And that is the ot, right? So even if the generation that left the desert dies off, you still have future generations that will see this and be able to see some sort of miracle 
that God is able to perform for them. And hopefully that will draw them in the same way that the sned, the bush, was able to draw Moshe in. To be able to inspire them. To be able to realize that there's something great out there that they should devote themselves to. And not be led astray by other things. We're, uh, we live in a world where we are surrounded by miracles and yet we don't really appreciate them for what they are. If we were to go back to somebody, maybe a, you know, a parent or a grandparent that passed away 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and you were to take out your iPhone, they would say, it's miraculous. How do you have that? Right? And I understand this week or this coming year we're supposed to see uh, augmented reality glasses coming on the market as, a, um, as an accessory to your iPhone. Where you're going to be looking around the world and you'll be able to actually see things superimposed on top of the world. Right? It's going to be like the Terminator. <laughs> but if you were to just go back 30 years, they would say, no way, and they'd say it's miraculous. But we see it every day and it comes on slowly that we no longer see it for what it truly is. Or the fact that your father could have a tiny little pacemaker right, implanted in 45 minutes in an ounce. Right? That is miraculous. Yep, it is. It's a miracle, right? And the fact is we don't see it as a miracle because it's things that we're surrounded by every day. And the idea here from the end of Kudeg is maybe we need to start seeing these things as miracles. And even if they are miracles that come from the hands of humans, we are, they come from the hands of humans who have been imbued with the wisdom and the creativity from their creator. And just as the Mishkan was created by the hands of people, and it was Kavod of Adonai, which was able to fill it with this incredible energy, so too we are surrounded by things which are made by the hands of people, but the spirit that flows through them is divine. And if we start to see those things in life as such, then maybe it's a way to be able to reconnect to God, to be inspired by the miracle around us and not just take it for granted. It can be this Anan that covers it all, this cloud that covers it, and so we don't really appreciate how that Kavod Adonai is actually in the midst of it all. So we have to be able to tell ourselves that there is something there, that maybe we can't see it with our own eyes, but we know that there's something holy and divine and even the most mundane things that we've been able to create because God inspires us and gives us the energy. Adonai owes the Moyitain. God has given us the strength to be able to create this. And so may we all be blessed to be able to see the miraculous in the most mundane, to not turn away like many of people before us did, but to be able to see the Kavod Adonai right there in our midst. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.